0: Welcome to episode two of the Going for Broke Outdoors podcast, a podcast by an outdoorsman for other outdoorsmen. I'm your host, Jeremy Gillespie. In today's episode, we catch up with Jordan Kirkowski. Jordan is a certified big buck slayer from Wisconsin with some out-of-the-box tactics. I first learned about Jordan through Dan Infall's Hunting Beast Forum when one of his first posts showed pictures of a pile of trophy class bucks. Jordan's impressive collection of bucks includes several Pope and Young caliber deer and one Boone and Crockett all of which have been taken inside of 20 yards on public land from the ground and several with a recurve bow. In today's podcast, we discuss Jordan's approach to ground hunting, ground hunting setups, pre-season and in-season scouting, trail camera use, observation sits, and a whole lot more. Today's podcast is brought to you by Stealth Outdoors, the tree stand silencing store. Stealth Outdoors manufactures a variety of tree stand silencing equipment aimed at the mobile hunter, including climbing stick wraps, cam buckle covers, platform cable wraps, and more. I've used Stealth Strips on my climbing sticks and tree stands since 2014, and I can personally attest to the durability and functionality of the product. On top of that, Stealth Outdoors provides world-class customer service and ships products quickly. Visit www.stealthoutdoors.com for more information. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Snark Media Agency, a digital-first agency focused on custom web design, specialized photo and video creation, and all things marketing. Visit www.snarkmediaagency.com to establish or expand your online presence. Web, photo, video, Snark Media Agency. Today's podcast is also brought to you by Ideal Northern Edge Food Plot Mixes. Ideal Northern Edge has carefully created a variety of seed mixes and minerals to cover all of your food plot planting needs. A bright color coating on the seeds provides visual contrast against tilled soil and ensures optimum seed coverage and density for your next food plot planting. Visit www.idealnorthernedge.com for more information. I'm really excited to talk to today's guest, so let's go ahead and get Jordan on the line. All right, I'm here with Jordan Kirkowski, the man, the myth, the marsh buster. Just wanted to start out this podcast on a little bit different note, Jordan, and have you tell me the story of your favorite buck. And specifically, I want to start out by discussing how you ended up in the area that this buck lived Was it cyber scouting or previous history, maybe shining, boots on the ground scouting, or a combination or something else?
1: Actually, how I got up on this buck was a combination of all that stuff. Um, I had seen him a lot the year before that I ended up shooting him. I was glassing him right before dark in a public bean field, and I actually ended up having him About 30 yards opening week of bull hunting, it was 2015. And I was not expecting him to come from where he came from, and he totally busted me. But uh, after I first saw him, I would go middle of the day and walk the fields and try to find his track and see if I could figure out where exactly he was coming from. Because every night I would see him, he came from a different area. But I would check maps religiously, trying to figure out what I could see. I would go shining. Uh, I'd do that quite a bit. And after 2015, I, I never saw him again after that one encounter. But I drove around the public marsh that he was in after season. It was late January. It was cold. And like, ah, I'm going to drive around and see what kind of deer made it through the season. And sure enough, he was standing right next to the road, pretty close to where I was glassing him all summer. I thought, well, holy crap, he made it. So that's what I'm going to focus on for next year. And I did, I wanted to shoot him. He he didn't score huge. I think he ended up at like 144 and change, but he was just a big, old, mature deer. And I walked the edge of the field again, Uh, to see where he was feeding all winter and he kept coming out of a spot that made no sense to me why is that he was just coming out of the this is just a big area of cattails that goes on for probably oh shoot i'm gonna say at least 12 1300 yards it just it's just a there's nothing out there. there's no trees or anything it just goes all the way to this river and what I could not figure out the year before was because there is a couple sections of dogwood and some uh, smaller willow trees out in those cattails, but there was never his sign by any of them. There's always does and smaller bucks. So, anyway, as I went in that next spring, winter scouting, and I came up to this spot, it was Is probably a foot higher in elevation than anything else in this whole section. Sure enough, I started finding all these beds everywhere in like a probably 20 yard circle and they were big beds. And what I noticed, I've seen it a lot. I don't know how much other guys notice it, but there was in the beds, there was sections of cattails that were all tore up and they're all twisted and knotted up. And what I've noticed over the years is that's, that is a buck rub in the cattails. A lot of guys don't believe me, but that's what it is because they're they're all tore up and they're twisted. And you, you can see if you look deeper into in everything, you can see where they dug their hooves in the ground, their rake and stuff. And uh, I'm like, well, this is him. It's got to be him. And I don't think he used that area all year. There's actually another buck. I am currently trying to figure out what he's doing right now. Same same age and rack and everything and it seems like these deer are a half mile away all summer and early fall and i think they don't go out into that section until there's some pressure so that's what i'm trying to figure out uh so i just that's that's the trail camera i just hung about a half hour ago i hung that to see if i could figure out what this deer is doing anyways so it was uh it was a Saturday. We had, I used to be on a fire department. We had fire training that morning. And then after training, we had an actual fire call and uh, went to that, came back. The Badger football game was on. I stopped at home to eat something quick before hunting, and I fell asleep in the chair. I woke <laughs> up at, like, 3.30. Oh, crap. I only got two hours. And the wind was pretty iffy for this spot I had found because it was, I mean, the access to it was almost blowing straight to where it had to be. And I didn't feel good about it. I wasn't even thinking of hunting there, but as I got to the public marsh, there were trucks and vehicles everywhere. And I had no one to blame but myself for getting out there late. Anyways, I went back there. I'm like, well, screw it. I'm going to try it. What's the worst that could happen, right? And... I could hear something coming. It was about an hour before dark yet. Heard something coming. I got ready, and this buck comes out at like 10 yards, and he is totally broadside from me.
0: That's the one you're after.
1: This is the one, yes. Totally broadside, and I'm looking at him, and I'm like, man, I don't know. I don't know if that's big enough or not. It doesn't look that big. And he kind of quartered his head towards me, and I all of a sudden I saw he was like 20 inches wide, and it's actually like a 250-pound deer. I'm like, oh, crap, he's so big. <laughs> his body was so big, it threw me off even that close. Because wow. when, when they're coming in, the way I hunt on the ground, I usually try not to look at them too hard because I get nervous, and they look at me, and it's over just like that. So I'm like, oh crap, I should have shot him five seconds ago. <laughs> so I drew back and I shot right over the top of him. I could
0: not believe it. At 10 yards? 15 yards? Yeah, 10 yards.
1: <laughs> yep. And I practiced religiously out to like 80 all summer, even though I never shoot that far. But just to, just, to, I like shooting far. It's fun and uh, make cold shots easy. But I was so <laughs> caught off guard that I totally missed him.
0: Now, was this a, compound or a recurve because you shoot both right
1: yeah this was actually a compound and so now here's the other part of the story earlier in the year it was the very last day of september i was with the recurve and i got home from work at about four o'clock and there's a big storm about to come in and i had a spot on the other end of this marsh where there was a very big one hanging out all summer and i was pretty sure i knew where he was well anyways it came in and I had a five yard shot with my recurve and he would have been and crockett for sure. Um I ended up losing that deer. Oh man. I think I one lunged it. I thought I drilled him because I was just kind of crouched over and he was coming straight at me. He turned to his left, perfect broadside, and I just kinda rose out of the the sawgrass. And I thought I drilled him. He tucked his tail and kind of hopped into some red brush. And I'm like, oh, my God, I just killed the biggest deer of my life. And he's dead right there. Not the case. We chased him. We let him sit for about five hours. Uh, I ended up looking for him for three days. Never found anything. He kept making circles. He was bleeding. It was was good blood. But I think I barely, I must have barely touched the lung. And I lost a lot of confidence and hope and everything after that. I actually I was so mad at myself. I did not bull hunt again till probably October twentieth. So about twenty days. And I wasn't even gonna hunt the rest of the year and you know, guys some of my buddies are like, You gotta move on, it happens, you know you'll bounce back from it you always get one yeah whatever I don't even want to hear it
0: (laughs) yeah man I've I've been there and and people say if they've never missed a buck either you're either a liar or you haven't bow hunted very long because sooner or later unfortunately I think it happens to everybody
1: exactly and and it's a miserable feeling I have never that was the first time it's happened to me And I was sick. I still think about it, just how it played out. Right now, thinking about it makes me sick. I'm like, how did I screw that up? Yeah, so anyways, back to the buck I ended up shooting. I had the compound, and that was kind of another reason why, when he stepped out, I wasn't even thinking about shooting him because of what I had already shot and lost. I wanted something big, big. Right. And, uh... Anyways, he turned his head and I saw that I probably should have shot him right away. And I missed him. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. And he trotted about ten yards and stood there and he's looking back at me, trying to figure me out. I'm like, well, I gotta put another arrow in right now because he's gonna take off and whatever. So I knocked another arrow and all I could see was from his face to about mid shoulder. As I'm coming to full draw, I'm like, "Well, I got his next shot. That's what I'm taking. I'm taking it right now." And I shot, and I hit him, and he started running up to a plowed field, which I was surprised about. So I immediately just started running up so I could look through the binoculars, and I actually watched him drop, about after about 80 yards. Oh wow! And I'm starting to fist pump and stuff, you know, and just like that, he gets back up and he starts running again. Oh, like, no. You got to be you got to be kidding me. He ran about another 200 yards through this plowed field, and then he dropped again. I thought, all right, now he's done. And I was starting to text my buddy, and I looked at him. He got up again, ran over the hill, and out of sight. I thought, you cannot be This can't be happening. Two in one year, and I threw my compound about 20 yards. <laughs> I was so mad, I could not believe it. I'm like, I just... I just put a hole in that thing's neck, and I could see it squirt out. Like that thing is running, and and what was scary was he was kind of starting to head towards a little chunk of private, and those guys don't necessarily like people coming to look for deer on their land and stuff. Sure. So I I was getting nervous, and I called a couple buddies. They came over, and we were talking about it, and in this plowed field, I mean, it was bleeding so bad, or so good, I should say, you could actually step in the pools of blood in this plowed field, make, like, the squishy noise of, like, effort rains really hard. Oh, wow. But how How is this deer even going this far? We debated letting them sit the coyotes are really bad in this area and usually if you let one sit overnight the coyotes have them destroyed almost every time out here and my main goal was i just want to follow the blood through this plowed field because that's going to be dried up and we're not going to see it tomorrow i want to follow this till he hits the crp and we did and he ended up being dead 20 yards inside of it
0: how far do you think from the shot to where he finally went down how many yards would you guess
1: we figured it was about 900 yards and i've never <laughs> that's the fir- three times further than any deer i've ever shot has gone and i actually was using a two-inch three-blade grim reaper mechanical and i put like a five-inch hole in its neck
0: so i want to tell a similar story and this is a. Uh... Something that happened, some buddies and I went to Ohio for an out-of-state hunt in 2016, and one of my friends actually shot a deer with mechanical in the neck, and it's almost exactly like you described, so maybe this will be good for some people that are listening. Uh, Same thing, tons of blood. We tracked it, GPS, and we kept thinking, like, how are we not finding this? At this point, we didn't know that he had shot it in the neck. All we knew is that there was tons of blood everywhere, and we just kept tracking farther and farther and it ended up being about an 800-yard track job, but it was just a straight neck shot, so it's good to know, uh, you know, they, I think they die, they obviously bleed a ton when you hit them in the right spot and in the neck, but they can go a long ways.
1: Yeah, it was, I, I honestly could not believe it, because I've shot a couple other ones at the time in the same spot, and man, if they go 60 yards, and that was with like a fixed head, a thunder head, which is way smaller, and And I don't know what your scenario was, but I I was kind of thinking about it. You know, I missed the deer the first shot, and he was on edge, and he was looking at me. He knew something was up. I don't know if his adrenaline was that strong or if he had that much of a will to live. We ended up doing a tooth analysis of him because I was curious. He had a big block head and just a huge round body he ended up being seven and a half years old oh wow and i don't know if he was just you know i'm not dying or if his adrenaline was pumping for me or a combination or i mean the hole in the nectar's it's crazy it's crazy how tough
0: those animals are yeah it really is the the will to live is strong for sure
1: it humbles a guy <laughs>
0: Well, I want to ask you a few follow-up questions uh, based, based on what you said there about your story. And the first thing is you mentioned walking around looking for this Bucks track and the different areas that he came out of. And to me, I think tracks are one of the things that are really important and maybe not as practiced as they should be. So was there anything specific about this Bucks track that let you know this is the Buck I'm after, like size, shape, spread, stride, any of that stuff?
1: Yeah, there is, and it's gonna probably throw some people off guard, especially for. I think I've shot in a couple that dressed over like two ten. Um, I think he was like two twelve dressed the next day, which which is pretty good size for around here, especially these public here get pushed around a lot and they're always running. And uh, but anyways, he had a he had a pretty small track. You hear a lot of like three and a half, four finger wide track, and his hooves were probably only three fingers wide, but the thing was built like a Sherman tank. Right. But I picked up on it because I if if I wouldn't have seen exactly where he was standing and then went and looked, I would have never believed it. I would have either thought it was a big doll or maybe a two year old buck.
0: Were the tracks uh, deeper? Or I know a lot of guys say like a especially a big body buck like that, will have a wider front stance. Did you notice anything like that or a longer stride or anything?
1: He did have that, and that was the only reason that I could pick out his track and separate it from, like, the bigger does and the younger bucks because I could just see how much more splayed it was. Okay. And like I said, if I wouldn't have actually seen where he walked, I would have never guessed, I wouldn't think that deer would have a, a hoof print the size of your hand, and it, it didn't. So I've been walking around uh, with a couple different guys on the beast, Joel renting Easter and stuff. And we're always looking at tracks, you know, oh, this ain't very big. I'm like, I don't know, man, because they're like people, they're, they all got different characteristics. And I, I shot another one, a bigger buck that had small tracks maybe it's just a gene of around my area it could very well be but
0: i know i've read uh, articles from from joe elsinger you know joe Ree on the hunting beast and he talks about tracks quite a bit and and i think he's seen the same thing some of the big bucks have smaller hooves some of them have bigger you know just goes back to there's no always and never in white-tailed deer hunting i don't think
1: right hundred percent.
0: One other thing i heard you mention in there and i want to talk about this is when you finally sounds like honed in on that bedding area you said it was about a foot higher than everything around it how big was that actual area was it like 50 yards by 50 yards or small big describe that area a little bit
1: it wasn't that big at all and i would say for guys listening i i actually have not hunted out of state much at all but like wisconsin a typical state public area parking lot you can fit like three or four trucks in it that was about it but there was six or seven beds in it and i remember finding it and i took a lot of pictures of it because you could tell he would move even though it was all it was was solid cattails but it was a little higher so the what he was laying on was never damp or wet but he would actually he had different beds in there for every different wind there could be and every one of them was laid out perfect. It was, and every one of them had a couple, I guess, stalks of cattails tore up right by them. It's pretty. It's a pretty cool setup. And there's there there's usually a buck using it every year. Because ever since I found it, I walk it every every spring just to see. And uh, yeah, so it's not big, and I think it's it's solely the best bucks, the best buck in that area spot.
0: Yeah, it sounds like a pretty good spot something else you mentioned and and i think i've only heard this maybe one other time and probably pretty interesting to a lot of people was the knotted cattails and i've heard it in a little different context is if you have a buck with a big rack walking through cattails a lot of times they will pick up cattails on their antlers as they're coming through and then when they bed you know they'll drop them or shake them off you mentioned you thought they're rubbing in the cattails. Is there something, was it was the area right around that higher spot where their cattails broke off right there that, that makes you think that?
1: Yeah, I have I have noticed that too, where there's just clumps of them laying there. Or, or it almost looks like, you know, if you put it in a, if you're walking these trails and you think of a deer's height and where his head would be, where it almost looks like, about three and a half, four feet off the ground. It's kind of plowed off a little more on the sides of the trail. But, uh, no, what I'm talking about is it's really hard to describe. It's its hard to describe to people without showing them a picture because they. there's a lot of things I say that people think I'm nuts for saying it. But <laughs> I sp- I spend a lot of time out here and I see it and it, it adds up after a while and that makes sense. But it's almost like, it, it looks like if you would grab a couple of stalks, cattails, and you would just twist them up, and, and it's almost like putting it in a pretzel, but it's, it's usually not actually in a knot, but it's all shredded about two and a half feet up, and then the rest of it's laying down. You can see it's just been destroyed, and that was in this particular bedding area. It was like that in every bed. And then where I know where the dolls and the smaller bucks usually bed in there, it was on the outskirts of that. So I could tell there was something big in there that was kind of always monitoring the other the other spot with the dolls and smaller bucks too.
0: That's definitely interesting. That's not, like I said, that's not something that I've seen a ton, but that's a great detail to help somebody pick up if there's a buck using that area or that specific trail or that specific bed to, another kind of key to look for so two more things on this story you mentioned on the day that you shot this deer that the wind was almost terrible for the access so you know without giving your spot away north south east west or whatever you can just say like a general direction but from where you had to access to the bed like uh if you can describe it in terms of a clock like how far off was the wind like one o'clock two o'clock three o'clock
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I'll tell you because I don't care. It was, my access was from the north and the bedding spot was almost straight south of my parking location, but probably, probably three quarters to a mile from the truck, so I wasn't terribly worried about that. But to the southeast away is as another parking lot and guys come in from that way too and i didn't have much time and i didn't want to screw someone else's hunt up either so i didn't want to go way around i mean most guys are hunting up in the high grounds where they're probably not going to see anything anyways but i know how discouraging it is when it's getting that last hour hour and a half and someone walks through so i pretty much went straight for it I kind of went, I veered to the east a little bit. I guess it might have been just, it must have been just enough or whatever. But it was, the wind was almost dead wrong for my access, and I did not have many other options to get in. But, uh, I mean, he was bedding there for a reason. He could definitely smell anyone coming from that
0: way. Yeah, sometimes you just got to take a chance and get in there.
1: Yep, and anyone that knows me knows I have no problem blowing a spot or whatever because a lot of times, Monday through Friday, by the time I get home from work, even early season, if I have an hour to get back in and set up before dark, I I honestly don't care. I'll, I'll go for it if I feel like
0: like it's going to happen. That's
1: pretty much what I did, and it ended up working out.
0: I have uh, I'd say really aggressive hunting tactics tendencies too like I'm not scared to mess deer up and mostly because that's I'm, a, I'm hunting a lot of different properties so if I mess one up I'm not not too worried about it, it sounds like it's the same way for you so maybe talk about uh, or tell people your experiences with let's say you're on a good deer and you do blow it out how often would you say that you see that deer in that general area let's maybe not that specific bed but maybe on that same piece of property or the neighboring piece? Because personally, I believe they don't go that far that often unless they're repeatedly harassed, you know, three, four, five times. And what have you seen with that?
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, If I jump a good one or blow a sit and I was close or I saw him or I heard one come from where the biggest bass buck in that area should be, I will usually get right back in there as soon as I can and readjust set up maybe 50 yards in a different direction or or to the side because I like you said, I don't think they go very far or if anywhere the first first one or two times you jump them. I mean they're in that area because that's that's their area and they survive and they know it.
0: Right, it's worked for years. Why would they abandon it right away? Last thing with your story and I was uh you know not being the ethics police here but I was a little surprised with the the neck shot not a shot I would necessarily take on purpose but it sounds like you've made a few with a bow so was that deer was it was a head-on quartering two quartering away and is there a specific spot on the neck you're aiming for if you have to take a neck shot with a bow
1: Yeah, I know, I'll probably get some heat from it, I usually do around home even, but uh, he, when he trotted up that little ways, he stopped almost broadside, and then he turned hardcore looking at me, and I could, all I could see was the crease, like if you're skinning out a buck, you kind of know the layout of its neck, and the meat that surrounds uh, the esophagus and stuff. And I pretty much, I put my pin on it, and I, I thought about it for a second. I'm like, yep, I am killing him right now, and I let the arrow fly.
0: You're aiming pretty much for the, for, well, if you're looking head-on at a deer, left to right, you're aiming for the center line then. Uh, not ne- Well, no,
1: not necessarily, because I want to hit one of the two jugulars running up and down. Okay. So I usually kind of pick a side of like the, this is another thing. It's kind of hard to describe without pictures, but if you can kind of imagine where his, his esophagus is running down, I usually try to go just to one side or the other.
0: And for people listening, you hunt almost exclusively off the ground, right? So this is a ground level shot? Yes, it was.
1: And I I would never take that shot from a tree stand. Because you like with the next shot, I, I want to hit the I want to hit the main artery, but I still want to get penetration into the cavity too. So I kind of, I want to, I imagine where, where the arrow is going to hit. And I, I still want to get in and hit a lung or something too. And well, I used to have a golden retriever that I bought her for pheasant hunting and she would, she was really good, but she would not bring a bird back to me. And I ended up training her to uh, track deer and she was really good at it. Actually, she still is. I just don't take her that much. But there was a lot of times where someone would call me, hey, I shot this buck. And I'd always ask the string questions, you know, what time, where, were you going to stand or whatever, where'd you shoot him? And every time we went for a deer that someone tried shooting him head on from a tree stand, we never, ever found it. Never once. So I would I wouldn't take that from a tree stand, but if I'm eye level with it and I can I'm pretty confident I'll get penetration, that I'll do it every time.
0: Another thing and I think I read this on the hunting beast, it sounds like your most of your shots, or maybe all of your shots from what I read are, are twenty yards and under and I think that's important too. It's probably not a shot you're making at thirty or forty yards. Yep. Yep. i <laughs> other than with a gun Uh,
1: i don't think i've ever shot a buck past 15 15 yards
0: 15 20 i I think that's gonna surprise a lot of people
1: (laughs) yeah the closest one was three steps that was pretty neat (laughs)
0: that's
1: what i that's what i try to go for and
0: so for for people that don't know you and, and that's a great story by the way and one of the reasons i was real interested in talking to you is you hunt almost exclusively or maybe totally off the ground And you're hunting these marshes in cattails or or, or swamps almost all the time, correct? And one of the things I wanted to find out is once you've found a bedding area or a trail in the cattails, how do you set up? And that was one of my questions is, is, are you walking down deer trails and then breaking off into the cattails? Or are you setting right up in the trail? Like kind of describe your setup once you've found a bedding area. And and how far off the trail if you're getting off it you want to be.
1: All right. Yeah. So um so when I'm doing my spring scouting, I am always once I find a bedding area, I am backtracking and doing like a full three sixty around the whole thing to find the best setup. And a lot of times it's right in the cattails or right on the edge of it maybe in some brush in the sawgrass before it transitions to uh, the cattails. It depends on how far it is from the bedding, because I I like to be really close. I like to hear them get up and everything. But um, if I'm in the cattails themselves, I will generally walk down the same trail I'm expecting them to come from. And then once I'm, about 100 yards, 150 yards from where I, I think, or I know the bedding is. Then I will try to sidetrack through the cattails and maybe hit a, a, a side trail. And then I'll cut back around onto the, the expected exit route. And I don't do much. I, I know some guys go in there and they bust off cats. And have three shooting lanes and stuff like that. Usually what I will do, and I usually set up within like 5 to 10 yards of the actual trail. I'll make one window. Say I'm I'm facing the trail perpendicular like a 90 degree. I'm
0: looking straight at the trail. Right, so the trail's at your 12 o'clock.
1: Yep. I will make a small little window just with my hands maybe maybe a foot wide at the most at say 10 o'clock just so when I hear one coming I can get full draw when I'm pretty sure he's close full draw if I have the compound and then I can just see him and then my other my shooting lane's is going to actually be about two to three well about two o'clock I want to shoot them when they're past me because when I first started doing that, I would make a window at 9 o'clock. I'd make one at 10 o'clock, 11, make one at 12 o'clock. So I wanted to see everything that's going on. And it didn't matter if it was a fawn or a spike. They would look immediately. And then here I sit. <laughs> <laughs> and, and with the compound, you got to be full draw before you see them. And here it's a spike or a two-year-old buck that you don't want to shoot or whatever, and they're sitting there staring at you, and you can hear something back 50 yards, and that's probably the target buck. And then this little one buggers out and goes back one on a blue-year-old night. And that was kind of a reason why I switched to a recurve, too. Even once I stopped making huge holes to see in the shoot, because with the recurve, you can pretty much just pull it back once once you see them and shoot you don't have to be at a full draw for a minute or two if something else busts you
0: when you're at the two o'clock window that's mostly to keep yourself hidden or do you prefer the quartering away shot or, or, or both of those reasons it's
1: mainly so i can stay hidden
0: do you feel like once they walk past you at let's say the 12 o'clock that that their eyes are focused forward and, and you can move more once they're past you
1: yeah, I mean, that's the goal, you know, with anything that it doesn't always go as planned. But I, I'd like them to, I mean, even even if they stop at 12 o'clock and they get nervous, if I hear them start walking again, then I know it's game on and they're comfortable and, and whatever. But usually, too, I will, when I'm kneeling on the ground, I My body is probably facing 3 o'clock the whole time. I'm facing almost straight away from where they're coming from, so I don't have to move when I draw back and shoot, if that makes sense.
0: No, that makes a lot of sense, and I don't know if you listen to the first podcast, but when I talked to Ryan Anderson, that was one of his big uh, points that he made on ground hunting, was you have to position your body like 90 degrees off from where you expect the shot. So if you expect to shoot at 12 face your chest and your knees at three because then you can just draw off your strong you know this is assuming you're right-handed you can you can just shoot off your strong side without having to move at all then you know your body or your or your chest or anything
1: yep exactly and and then you can shoot at nine o'clock if you have to too and that's happened to me enough also uh when i'm not Actually, in the cattails, or when I'm right on the outside edge of them, it just tucked away in a little two foot tall shrub. That way, you can. I mean, if you hear something coming, you can look back and maybe face the bowl that way if you know it's going to be too open to spin around and that and just drill them right away as soon as you see them i like to be drawn back before i see them because it usually happens pretty freaking fast
0: i don't ground hunt much but i did shoot two deer from the ground this year and i think that's a big takeaway for guys at tree stand hunt that want to ground hunt i think when to draw is way more important on the ground and if you can and you think you can hold it like you never know what a deer is going to do obviously but if you hear one coming it's a great idea to get drawn back and ready where you think it's going to come out before you ever even see it
1: yeah exactly that's what I that is what I try doing I try being ready so the minute it stops out in case he does see me I'm I can take a shot if I got it and usually I take the very first shot I get at him I don't I don't wait for him to go past me or anything if I got a shot right away I'm taking it
0: that's good advice too well it sounds like you're uh you've had a lot of success on the ground but that wasn't always the case so I'd like to get into uh your early hunting career and and you know I read some of your stories on the hunting beast and I think a lot of times when when people see or hear a, a good hunter they think oh this guy's got it all figured out and he was just born that way but it sounds like you had some struggles early on so tell me about your your early hunting career the first couple of years
1: <laughs> yeah that is no lie that it was a struggle um so my dad never really hunted he hunted turkeys with his buddies from work when it opened up in wisconsin i think that was 1989 that was the same year i was born and uh once i was getting close to the age of hunting and he had stopped turkey hunting for probably 10 years by then I kind of grew interest in wanting to do that. And he's like, well, I guess. Well, so turkey hunting is what really started it. And I, I loved every minute of it. It was a blast. And then I wanted to move on to deer hunting. And my dad had not deer hunted since he was in high school. So we didn't have any land or anything. And uh, the same group of guys he originally turkey hunted with, always went way up in the North woods, Wisconsin, up by park falls for a uh, nine day gun season every year. And cause, cause of when I decided I wanted to start deer hunting, I was 12, my birthday is in October and there wasn't hunter safety lined up till, Oh, I think it was the first week of November. So I could, I couldn't bull hunt anyways. Um, one of my sisters used to bow hunt, and that's what got me into shooting the bow. I think I started shooting bow when I was eight. I would just do a kid's league at the local archery shop. I never hunted, but I had experience shooting the bow.
0: Most kids that age really get into shooting bow. It's a good time.
1: Yeah, it was fun. Uh, like I said, even though I didn't hunt with it, it was so fun to go shoot it and all that stuff. And so it was that first year I was 12, we went up to Park Falls doing the big Northwoods, Wisconsin tradition, go up the Friday before, you have this 12-year-old kid that weighs 110 pounds, all right, here's a 100-pound bag of corn, we're going to walk back in here and you're going to dump it, and then you're going to sit over that all weekend. Well, (laughs) it was... It was that Friday before we did that. We dumped the corn where I was going to sit. It was probably half mile from the truck. It was kind of a it was some hardwoods ridges that met in with some cedar swamp stuff. And we put the the uh, cat eye thumb tacks and trees so I wouldn't get lost. Dad got me a handheld GPS so I wouldn't get lost. And I was going to be sitting on the ground. So it's opening day of gun season. My first time ever deer hunting. I'm all pumped up, and I get in there early. I'm sitting by myself because I think Dad dropped me off and he went back to the hotel. Um, it's about a half hour, forty five minutes before light, and I hear all this movement really close to me, and you can hear three or four of them. And I'm I am just tickled. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna shoot a deer right away. This is awesome, <laughs> and. And they're getting close, they're about 30 yards away, and they stopped moving, and it made the scariest noise I've ever heard in my life, it was a wolf, and it was a whole pack of wolves, and here I'm thinking, I'm going to die my first time deer (laughs) hunting, this is stupid, (laughs) and that was pretty much how it went, We, I think we hunted through Tuesday that first year, and we didn't do drives or nothing that all, all my buddies that I knew their families do that. They walk around suffering gone and it's cold up there. I'm underdressed and I saw one deer in four days of sitting from opening light till close. And, and I didn't really have that much fun because it was kind of miserable. That following fall, I ended up getting up my own bow, and I started going bow hunting with my brother-in-law. And I had a, I had fun doing that. It wasn't as cold, and I was seeing more deer. I'm trying to think. I think I shot my first doe when I was 14, so that would have been the year after that.
0: With a bow or with a gun?
1: It was with the bow, and I was pretty excited about that. It, was, it, was, it To this day, it was still the second biggest doe I've shot out of probably... 30 of them but uh i kind of grew away from it because going with him i mean i still thank him for taking me along kind of getting me into bull hunting but it was more of a go up for the weekend drink beer and well he would anyways and hunt hunt an hour in the morning hunt an hour at night and to me i i just i just was all about it i wanted to be in the woods all day and it wasn't so i kind of grew away from it and I started thinking, well, why drive that far away when there's a couple big public marshes right around where I live? So my dad would eventually start just dropping me off in these marshes around home. And he'd drop me off at right after school and he'd say, uh, well, don't get lost and don't kill yourself. I'll be back at dark if you're not here after an hour. I guess I'll call the sheriff. <laughs> How old were you <laughs> at this point? I was probably 15. I actually the first year of that was it wasn't the same year I shot my doe, but it was a little later in the season. And I had no clue what I was doing. Like I said, I didn't come from a very big hunting background. I was you know, my only hunting experience was sit over a bait pile or with my brother-in-law was pretty much sitting tree stands and fence lines. With crop fields on each side,
0: I think a lot of guys from uh, the Midwest that area, Wisconsin, Michigan, especially, get their start the same way. I mean, sounds real familiar. All the early hunting I did was bait piles and you know stuff that my dad or stepdad or whatever did. So, yeah, it's pretty pretty common. But after you after you get rolling here and uh, not having much success, but you're you're bow hunting the marshes around home, what? kept you after it it sounds like you just were into into hunting and when did you after the doe how long until you shot your first buck
1: yeah I was I was big into it I, I just love being out here and just this wild vast expanse of nothing but crappy conditions where you walk the wrong way in one direction you're dropping in a hole of water that goes over your head and I don't know what it was, but I liked it, but I, I was, I did it for like a year, two years, got my license, driver's license, and I would spend like every day out here and I could just not get on the deer. I was, I was basically hunting like how you see it on TV and I'm hunting field edges and in the hardwoods, which I know now that you you're not going to kill deer in these public places like that. But I—I I finally got sick of it, and I got into duck hunting. It was midway through the year. I was 16, and then I pretty much—I would still bull hunt on occasion and gun hunt the nine day because in Wisconsin you have to do that. It's like a law, right. You have to gun. It's religion, but, right? Uh, <laughs> I just, I lost excitement in it because my success was so bad. And I think I was 20 years old. I was either 19 or 20. I'm terrible with dates, but it was, it was three, four years where I mainly was just duck hunting. And I went out this one morning to duck hunt. It was cold. There was ice in the marsh. I was breaking ice. I almost had a pretty big buck driving to where I was going to launch my skiff and I spent about an hour and a half busting ice getting back to the pothole I wanted to sit in, which was happened to be right next to this little uh, red brush island out in the middle of this 6,400 acre marsh.
0: I know where this story is going.
1: Yeah, and I'm sitting there and I think I'm hearing stuff. I don't know. Maybe I am just mentally hearing stuff and you couldn't i don't know if the law changed or not but it had to be i think you i think you could not have duck decoys in the water until an hour before shooting light so i throw my decoys out and i get back in my skiff and i pour some coffee in this on this little island it was you could hear it was wet in some spots there's crap running around and like what the heck is going on and I all of a sudden I heard a grunt and another grunt and a snort wheeze and I heard antlers crashing. This is thirty yards from where <laughs> I'm sitting. Like, there's freaking deer out here? How in the heck is it's like a mile from from dry land? And I could not believe it. And this is it's about half hour before light yet. And that that was the moment where I'm like, Okay. I've been hunting wrong the whole time, and that's why I hated it and stopped doing it, and that's why I'm not seeing them. And I kind of put it in a perspective where, okay, now it makes sense. These deer are way out here because there's a lot of people that are hunting the same way I am on the field edges and in the woods, and, I mean, you drive around at night shining and the deer are out there two hours after legal light, but that's not where they're living, and then that winter, I just went to town. I walked, I don't know how many miles I put on. I'm hitting all these spots way out, and there's that's where all the sign was. And then I just kind of, I made a mental, I guess, talk to myself, like, all right, we got it now. We got it figured out. We're going to start killing some freaking deer. And then that's pretty much what happened, that following gun season I killed my first big buck that's a long story but I'll end up just saying I ended up shooting him at three yards in standing corn because I tracked him into it and I walked around the standing corn and it just snowed and I could see he did not come out of it so I just walked in and I could start seeing where stalks were knocked over where he had obviously had to have run through here and I look up and he's standing right there based on the way he took He turns his head at me with like the old crap look. And I didn't even, I didn't even pull my shotgun up. I shot from the hip and hit him right in the neck and dropped him. (laughs) I, I was, I couldn't believe it. And I, I mean, that was only the second or third deer I had shot. So right away, I want to grab this big rack and he starts flipping out and rolling around. I put the barrel right on his chest and put one through the heart right there. And my, my now he's my brother in law. He calls me, goes, Well, oh, that second shot sounded pretty close. Said, Yeah, so was the first one. I think he's
0: dead now. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you then? if uh, my math's right, probably 20, 21 then?
1: Yeah, I think I was twenty. That fall, now that I think I have this all figured out, I, I got onto some box and I pretty much shot a door or two every year since then with the bowl. But I was passing up a lot of bucks with my bow that I don't know why I was. I guess I just thought that I had to shoot something big right away or people are going to make fun of me or all that crap. But uh, I was passing up a lot of bucks with the bow that year, too. And then the next year, I was 21 when I shot my first bull buck, and it was a little little five-pointer. He comes in. It's the week before gun season. I thought, you know what? I've never shot a buck with my bow. I'm shooting this thing. And I shot him, and I was happy as hell. And since then, since then, I think I shot twelve or thirteen bucks now in Wisconsin.
0: You've been on a pretty steady roll, then. Once you once you figured it out.
1: Yeah, and and every year I've learned more stuff. It never stops.
0: So that was probably uh, the first the The shotgun buck in the cornfield and your first bow buck that's probably early 2000s then 2000 2002 somewhere in there
1: um no it was i think it was like 2009 because i'm 30 now so i would say this is like this is uh going into my 11th season of actually being pretty hardcore
0: about deer hunting oh okay yeah i was i was off uh a decade there on my math <laughs> So when, <laughs> no, when uh, right. so it sounds like you're you're rolling pretty good. When did you join the hunting beast?
1: So, the local archery shop is actually and a lot of guys know him because he's the public land challenge master. Uh, Joe Rentmeester worked there, and he's the same age as me. And I know he knew that I mainly hunted these public marshes around where I live. And he mentioned something about it, about the hunting and stuff. And I, at one time I had Googled or something public marsh hunting and the original blood brothers DVD popped up and I was asking him about it. And one way or another, I saw the picture where Joe or the video, I should say where Joe shoots the, the apple tree buck and, uh, He's Like, yeah, you should join the Honeybees and stuff like that. I'm like, I don't know. I don't really I'm really not in the forums and stuff like that. And uh, I didn't, but I I had talked to Joe enough and he's like, Yeah, this this Dan guy, he's he's the real deal. And um, well whatever, doesn't mean anything right. to me, you know. <laughs> but after a while I finally, yeah, I'll look it up. And I did, and it was funny because the reason Joel was kind of pushing me towards it he's like dude you got to get on here because it's like exactly like how you hunt everything from the bedding and, and uh getting right in there right away if you blow a spot who cares because you should have 20 more lined up which by that time I did because I just started sculling like a madman and okay I'll go for this one now if I screw it up it's on to the next one and it doesn't really bother me too much
0: it sounds like you kind of came to a lot of the same conclusions that Dan did just by trial and error and hunting in the, the marshes. I did. Once you joined the Hunting Beast, it sounds like you're hunting in a pretty similar style. Did you pick up anything, or did your style really change after you started getting on the forum and reading some of what the other guys were doing?
1: Um. Well, I would say, so when I first got on the forum, and I, I used to not comment much, I actually... I had a different username and then I, I kind of stopped going on there for a while and I couldn't remember what my username or, and I got a new email. So I ended up having to make a new account a years <laughs> ago, but just reading through everything, it, it was, it was kind of like a light bulb deal where, you know, Hey, they're using milkweed to check when too. And like, I noticed it just from walking out the spots, mainly duck hunting where you'd brush up against it and it would, fly perfect whichever way the wind was going you could see it dancing around in the air and it then goes in one straight direction and it was a bunch of stuff like that you know okay i'm not i'm not nuts for doing the stuff i'm doing or i'm not i guess the biggest thing i noticed was it's it's not that i'm getting lucky it actually and it makes sense why this style is working for me so it was cool to see that and i do pick up plenty of stuff all the time on there now even you know hey maybe you should you ever thought about this or set up there maybe the biggest thing i learned was to observation sets which i i really didn't do that much at all now i do it quite a bit even this time of year i'll i'll walk in 500 yards hanging hang my lone wolf or tree stand that I've never shot a buck out of <laughs> and sit there all night and glass deer.
0: Yeah, it's definitely easier to glass from a from an elevated position, that's for sure. So are you able to see a lot of these cattail areas that you're hunting or the fringe bedding areas? Are you able to see the deer coming out of them from from these observation sits? Um yes and no, but like what I pick up more and more
1: is you hear one coming from a certain area, and a lot of I mean, I'm mainly doing these ob- observation sits on stuff I've walked or places I'm pretty confident in of what's gonna happen. And you don't always see them, but you can tell just the way they walk, you know, one step, sit for five minutes, couple couple more steps, wait another couple minutes. And the same same thing, like during actual hunting season, where you can, you just you just got that feeling, even though you don't see it, this has got to be a good buck because he is taking his sweet time making these last 50 yards. But I'll, I, I will, too, climb up a tree this time of year, observations at 30, 40 feet, even though I don't really hunt that way, just so I can see. Because a lot, A lot of guys, too, always ask, well, why don't you hunt out of a tree? you Are afraid of heights? No, no, not really. I'm a construction worker. I've got plenty of experience working (laughs) heights, so it's not that. Well,
0: it sounds like you're knocking down plenty of big ones without climbing a tree, so I don't know if I'd necessarily be in a hurry to change either. So one of the other things I read on the hunting beast, I was looking through some of the old threads, you know, getting ready for this podcast, was you talked about face painting. And I think especially on the ground, whether it's face paint or covering your face with a mask or a neck gaiter, or head net, whatever it is, that that's important. So talk to me about or what you do for your face painting and kind of your feelings on covering your face in general.
1: All right. Well, I'm going to say it right away. I do not put face paint on to look cool. <laughs> I, already, I already know I'm not that cool. But, uh, yeah, I was kind of in my... When I first was getting back into it and I was figuring it out, but I was getting busted constantly, and I, I'm like, it's got to be my face. It's it's glowing white. They got to be seeing that. So I, ever pretty much ever since that, I'm I'm putting face paint on every night. I know a lot of guys like uh, guys from the hunting public have success on the ground and stuff without it, but I. To me, I just feel confident doing it, so I do it. I don't I do not do the black bone collector style. I usually do, like, green, green, gray, brown, kind of do, like, navy seal stripe pattern. To actually, because I want to actually break up my face and not look like a raccoon sitting there <laughs> right. looking at them. But, uh, and the reason I don't wear face masks, sometimes early season I do just to just keep the mosquitoes up out of my mouth and stuff but i just hate i hate wearing them that's that's all there is to it but face paint i don't know i i do my ears and everything
0: a hundred percent coverage then or are you covering like every every part of your face or when you said stripe stripes is that like different colors or are you leaving any skin or just all paint
1: yeah i usually do not leave any skin <clears> at <throat> Some years I have a beard, some years I have mustache, some years I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm usually covering it at my neck too. Whatever's gonna stick out. Uh, I I just know even like the adult does, they'll pick out anything. But if if they come in and you don't make eye contact with them, actually, if if a deer's coming in and I see them and I know I'm not gonna shoot them, but they're gonna walk right past. If I'm not right in the cattails, I'm on the edge where I'm a little more. Uh, I guess visible, I'll close my eyes till I hear that they're well past me because I know I'm going to end up looking at them because I just want to look at them because I like looking at deer. And it's like every time if you make eye contact, the
0: game's over instantly. I I agree 100%. Yep, I purposely try not to look at deer or I squint or look away or anything to to not show (laughs) most of my eyes because I definitely think they pick up on that.
1: Last year here in Wisconsin, actually it was two years ago, uh, opening weekend was going to be hot. It was going to be 90 degrees, and the mosquito hatch that year was just awful. And everyone, all my buddies and people I know that are hunters are, oh, you can't go bull hunting opening weekend. It's too hot, and the mosquitoes are awful. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go hunting opening day in nothing but my boxers, and I'm going to totally face paint my whole body. You're freaking nuts. I did it, and I i have video i i bet you five different deer walk right past me <laughs> I, I didn't shoot one but i'm taking selfies with them I'm like i don't know what the problem is there's plenty of deer moving it's not that hot Oh, the mosquitoes are not that bad i guess but they were pretty bad
0: yeah one of the things you do it just to do it right
1: yep pretty much
0: <laughs> well let's let's get into the actual hunting now um are you hunting mostly mornings evenings does it depend on the time of the season are you doing any all-day sits during the rut? And if you are, talk about any experiences you've had with midday movement. So,
1: anyone that knows me knows that I am not a morning person at all. Amen. I hate I hate waking up. I don't like waking up for work. Uh, all summer, I'm a big walleye tournament guy. I love fishing. I I don't even like waking up in the mornings <laughs> for that. So honestly, I'm really hunting nights, mainly because of that reason. Because I'm too stubborn to want to wake up in the morning. But uh, I have I have I do hunt mornings, and I've shot a couple bucks in the morning too. But it's mainly nights, even with, with hunting mostly nights. Uh, I always talk to people that are making excuses. Oh, I don't have time. and So I work construction, and I'm not, who knows where I'm going to be next month a lot of times. And I've worked up to two, two hours from home. But you better believe I am getting out that night no matter what, even if I only have 45 minutes to park the truck before dark. And it might not be just a hunt it might be the glass, but I'm still taking my bowl with me because I've gotten it done multiple times with very little time. Um, as far as all day sets, I'm kind of too antsy to sit in one spot all day, even though I know there's a couple locations where I should, but I, I just, I can, if it gets to eight, nine o'clock in the morning, I'm not seeing anything. I, I'll stay out all day, but I'm getting done walking around trying to find what clue I missed or go find a new spot. During the rut, I've went out. I have skipped the morning and then go hunt from like 9:30 till about two o'clock, and I've had action that way. I should have shot a pretty big one one year, but I had a pee so bad I finally <laughs> turned around to pee, and here there was like 140 your stand. 15 yards away the whole time i never knew it because it was windy and it was snowing yeah and i i never heard him come in as soon as i started doing my business i heard a blow and i turned around i thought you gotta be (laughs) kidding me
0: (laughs) oh that's funny mostly evenings huh
1: it's mostly nights yep
0: so let's let's talk about uh since you are hunting it sounds like almost totally or are you hunting totally public land
1: yep 100 percent probably till the day i die just because i like the challenge of it
0: yeah i hear you there let's talk about accessing areas or areas that you've shot deer are you looking at like the whole public are you excluding areas are you going extra deep what what type of terrain features are you looking for and this is kind of a generic question but just to gauge what you think the impact on pressure is would you rather hunt like a mediocre spot three miles in or would you rather hunt something that that looks great that's a half a mile from the parking lot i guess i guess what i'm asking is does pressure trump everything else in your experience
1: yeah in my area pressure dictates where the deer are gonna be and now with that being said like i there's a public marsh right 10 minutes from my house and i hunted a lot that's probably my favorite spot to hunt just because i know it intimately because i spent so much time out here and uh like people are always coming up to the parking lot oh you're that marsh buster guy i have no clue who you are i don't even know how you know (laughs) i am but uh with that being said i usually hunt seven to eight different counties in wisconsin a year and uh i'm always 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 trying to find out where other guys are hunting that to me that's a pretty big element to figuring out the deer's patterns because after that first first weekend now you've had the squirrel hunters coming in walking around because I think that opens usually September 1st I believe I could be wrong but you got those guys walking around and them deer are kicked out of their summer bedding pretty quick I, I prefer hard to access or way totally overlooked spots. And I'll have people, oh, I saw your truck. I know where you hunt. Or you always hunt that side of the marsh and this and that. And like, a lot of times I'll park in a totally different parking lot and either bike down the public road or walk and go to a totally different area.
0: You got to be a little trickier when you get a reputation as a big buck killer, I think
1: yeah that's well, it's tough. I've had about six or seven different vehicles in the past eight years now too, and I try staying ahead and even like to I personally don't think I'm that great of a deer hunter. I don't know why people are trying to follow me. I'm just I'm stubborn and don't give up. I think that's my main reason why I'm successful. but I would rather hunt a spot that looks really good and isn't necessarily far away then go three miles out and there's some sign. And it depends on the area too because I've noticed a lot, a lot of big bucks don't leave that much sign,
0: especially rubs. But, uh, you know, talk about that because I, I've told people that, and I think, you know, it's not always the case, but it seems like the two- and three-year-old bucks leave a lot more sign. So what are you doing – to find these deer is it like just bedding areas that you know should hold the big deer because they're deep or tracks or are using cameras combination like what are you doing each year to kind of build up your inventory or your potential I guess for lack of a better term your hit list
1: well it pretty much never ends as far as scouting for me it's pretty much every 365 year-round thing but once you, once you start figuring it out, you can you just got a feeling, you know, there's no way anything's going to walk up to this thing without it getting away and seeing you or smelling you first. And I scout all winter, summer, during season, the day after season, or either the day after bowl season if I didn't fill my tag or the day after gun season when most people are done for the year i go pretty hardcore and just walk everything that that's potential bedding on edges or just random high spots out surrounded by water is a big one um, i do a lot of map skeleton i used to be really really big in the trail cameras when i first got back into hunting deer hunting when i kind of stopped duck hunting uh, I think I went and bought 10 moultrie cameras and I was running them everywhere and I, I would get pictures of big bucks a lot and I just couldn't kill them and I think the reason for that was I was so antsy I'd check, I'd check them every three weeks and I was burning up spots pretty bad so now I don't use them that much I'll put them way far away where I see them shining at night or something like that out way out towards the crop fields, way away from the bedding, just to get an inventory, because now like scouting in spring and early summer and find the bedding areas. I just want to know who is using that area. And then I can kind of pick and choose from there. I know some guys are big in the actual hit list and targeting certain bucks for the most part i'm not unless it's something something that really catches my attention i really want to kill them but for the most part i just hunt the best spots i find
0: right and there's usually a a buck worth shooting in those spots if you're not necessarily after one particular buck then
1: right yep and i hunt every single day of the year until i fill my buck tag no matter what
0: like Literally every day. Are you hunting every day of the every day of the week?
1: Every single day.
0: Even if you like you said, even if it's only for forty five minutes, huh?
1: Yep. And if I'm not necessarily hunting, I'm going scouting, but I have my bowl with me, and I I've shot, I shoot a lot of doles that way. I shot one buck doing that. Um. But yeah, I go every day, so I I have a lot of spots because I generally. Unless I saw something good to bring me back, I'm not coming back to that spot until next year. Or if I've tried it a couple of years in a row and it hasn't produced, that spot gets crossed off and look for something new in spring. So I usually try to have about 50 different spots picked out here, which is hard for a lot of my buddies that hunt private to put it put their hands around they can't oh there's not that many good spots but
0: well i'm sure you're covering yeah you're covering tons of ground to find that many though right
1: yeah and my fishing partner and i were just talking about the other day because they lease some pretty nice land in the central part of the state and they pay like three four thousand dollars to hunt it they shoot nice deer no doubt but uh i always give them crap i'm like oh all that money is spent on these deer to shoot them i mean you can just pretty much call them by name and have them come up because they're so (laughs) tame and then and he said something last weekend that i'd never really thought about even though i i do it all the time he's like you probably spend more than i do in a year in gas And like you know what i guarantee i spend more than that in gas because it's like every day i'm not doing something i'm driving somewhere i don't care if it's three hours away just to check a spot for an hour I'll I, I'll go check it just to either confirm what I thought it looked like on a map or cross it off and say yeah it looked a lot better than than what it is but
0: I feel you there man I, I've spent a small fortune in gas since I moved to Montana it's a big state and everything's new so I've been putting on tons of miles and I'm, I'm sure I've spent plenty of money there
1: for sure especially all west you only have a couple roads to get places i'm sure you got to drive a lot further than than you really need to to get to a spot just because the way the roads work
0: yeah that's true i want to get back to so we we talked about you know kind of how you're finding these spots and you've you've killed what 12 14 bucks it sounds like now somewhere a a good number and, and quite a few big ones have you killed most of these deer early season, rut, or late season? And if you have uh, some some early season and late season kills, especially, I'd be interested in hearing about those because I consider myself, you know, a pretty average deer hunter and I've killed most of my deer late October and November. And a lot of that's because Michigan, where I lived for a long time, the opener's not until October 1st. But now, this year, um, I have a North Dakota tag that opens September fourth and I have Montana Deer tag and that opens September fifth. So I know you guys in Wisconsin get started earlier. If you got any early season tips I'd be interested in hearing those too.
1: Yeah, early season is my favorite time to hunt because they're still off guard and they're not used to the the pressure yet. And it, it ties a lot back into like the late late night shining or the right before dark glassing they're still on their summer patterns and coming out to egg fields a lot of the time especially that first week because i always i personally feel like my best chance at a a real big one is opening day and it has i i have a lot of blown opportunities over the past 10 years on like opening weekend and it's either i I miss them, or I set up wrong, or just stupid stuff. But early season, they're still, they're still kind of in their summer patterns. Oh, I For sure, I've noticed, it's like the day they shed their velvet, though. They know, especially if it's an older buck that's been through the ringer a couple times, they know that something's about to happen, and there's going to be pressure, and then they... They kind of change a little bit, and they might bet differently, but I still think that first week they're coming. They still want to get to their, uh, their primary food source they've been feeding the last two months at a decent time. I haven't shot a lot of bucks early season, but like I said, I've had a lot of opportunities. And another excuse I always hear is, you know, the, the full moon crap, which I do not believe at all. I'm a big muskie fisherman, and anyone that muskie fishes knows the moon is everything. But as far as deer, I don't think it does at all. I hear a lot of guys say, ah, it's a full moon. That's why I didn't see anything tonight. And my biggest early season buck was a full moon an hour before dark, about 80 yards from the the food source he was using all year all summer I, I actually did have trail camera pictures of him and i was scouting them glassing them quite a bit
0: so on, on your early season setups uh sounds like bed to food pattern which would be expected and you said you've had a lot of opportunities and to me that's just as good as getting an arrow in one or, or almost for the sake of this discussion are you setting up or have you seen them bedding on average closer to the food or, or does The bedding that you see them in early season is that different bedding than you'd see them in say you know middle or end of october what's been your experience there
1: i would say the majority of the main properties i hunt they're usually by that time like i said about the when they shed their velvet they're usually at their spots they're gonna be that are in deeper by then not always but a majority of them and I know other guys that say and have experience, and I'm not I'm not doubting them at all. And they're saying that the bucks are in totally different bedding areas and up closer during the early season. And maybe it's maybe it's just because of the places I hunt aren't necessarily that far away from big towns, so there's pressure right away. But most of them are still back in ways, or they're sitting sitting right next to the road and watching people.
0: So that stuff that you're spring scouting or winter scouting, when you're finding that real premium-looking bedding that's a ways in, that's the stuff you're hunting right away, even early season then?
1: Yeah, usually right away, unless, unless it's like night or two before opener and I'm, I'm glassy and, and notice that there, these bucks are already in the fields at, you know, an hour before dark. Then I'll set up close.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Hard to beat the uh that kind of intel
1: right but if i'm not seeing anything coming out early i'm going in right away
0: no that that makes a lot of sense i mean that's been i got a couple buddies myself that have hunted southern michigan public and that's been the the same thing we've seen where you know there's a lot of guys in the week before the season either small game hunting miss michigan's youth season opens before the bow opener or you got guys in their hanging stands that those better bucks are already in those really secluded security betting spots on the opener so let's talk about uh any gear sounds like you got a pretty simple straightforward setup but is there any any pieces of gear that are critical for your success and if if there are describe them
1: yeah i am uh, i am pretty low key on gear i know the the new trend is everyone's all about gear and you got to do this mod to this piece and guys are more worried about their gear than actually scouting or finding gear. But uh, I'm a minimalist when it comes to my hunting gear. I'm usually wearing my work pants and I'll throw like a, I got my killing sweatshirt. That sweatshirt's, oh boy probably 15 years old it's a little tight <laughs> now but it's faded it's an old max four cattail pattern and whatever hat I pick out that night or I'm wearing um that's pretty much it my bow and those little you buy them at a farming supply or gardening place those little foam kneeling pads that uh your mom uses a planter, petunias and <laughs> kneel down on that's that's uh that's my my key piece of equipment for actual ground hunting now a lot of times i can't use it because it's wet anyways but
0: so are you You're kneeling then most of the time when you're on the ground on one of those pads
1: yep most of the time if i'm in the cattails and it's wet if i'm wearing hip boots or waders i'll kneel um i've brought out a piece of plywood in the past a couple times just to give my just to give me a foundation to stand on so every time I move I'm not sinking down a little further but it's I mean I don't bring much I hate carrying crap with me that was kind of a reason I got out of hunting tree stands because I hated the extra weight and you're catching on crap and making noise and uh on the ground too I feel way more confident because if I see something I'm not tied down to a tree I can move now if I gotta and not having a lot of gear helps with that because I can be quiet I uh, usually have I have a little fanny pack that I'll keep uh, not much in water usually most of the time a knife but it always seems like when I forget the knife in the truck is when I kill one So
0: that's right leave it in there
1: <laughs> rangefinder i always have a rangefinder binoculars on me even if i am gonna be in cattails and i can't see more than five feet i always have them on me because i love looking at stuff as i'm walking all
0: yeah i you know the last couple of years especially i've really started and, and i mean out, out west it's more obvious but even before i moved out west having the the binoculars with me all the time i mean always have them on hunting i always keep I'm in the console of the truck when I'm driving around. You never know when you're going to see something good, so that's uh, I'm I'm on board there for sure. The glass. Well, we're in we're in the gear. I know you said the one deer you shot in the neck, you used a, a Grim Reaper broadhead. Are you still using those? So I never used to be a
1: mechanical guy at all, and how I ended up shooting them, I don't remember what year it was, but it's probably been seven years now. We were shooting Archery League, and it was the last shoot of the year for our league, and it was a week before the season, and I had always shot Thunderheads, just plain old 100-grain new archery products brand Thunderheads. But we were shooting League, and my buddy goes, what the hell is that sound? Every time I was almost locked in a full draw, I, didn't, I couldn't hear it. I was focused on hitting the 12 ring. He goes draw back again, and I did. And he could see my limbs were delaminating. Like, oh crap, that could have been bad. Oh yeah. So I took it into the archery shop and like I need this thing fixed now because season seasons in like five days and hell or high water, I am going bull hunting. At the time, I I wasn't using a recurve yet. So we swapped the limbs, and I I had very minimal time between work and stuff to get it really dialed in, which is a poor excuse for shooting mechanicals. But I sighted it in and got my field tip shooting good. And I pretty much said to myself, I'm just going to get the biggest, baddest expandable I can. And that's what I'm going to use. And um, my first deer with those was a doe And I, like I said, I like shooting 80 yards. I'll shoot 100 yards too. But I always shot that far because I always wanted to go out west, Kansas or Nebraska and bull hunt too. And I know the possibility of a 56 yard shot is very likely out there. So I had this doe at 58 yards and she was calm as could be. It was on the edge of an alfalfa field. It was opening week. So there, you know, deer were still. Unpressured and I ranged her about four times. Came full draws, I held back for probably half a minute, making sure the wind was right. I wasn't going to shoot if something wasn't right. And I shot, and I, I actually got a complete pass through with that. So I was pretty impressed by it. She went 20 yards and dumped over. I thought, Holy crap, well, if I'm shooting bucks at 10 yards with these things, that'd be pretty slick. <laughs> So then I, I ended up just sticking with them until last fall. And last fall was the best fall I've ever had in my life. We first time ever I went out to Colorado elk hunting. And I know I'm not using expandables on elk. So I went back to Thunderheads and now I'm back using them again. Okay. I I definitely like the advantage of the bigger blades with uh or the bigger cutting diameter i guess with mechanicals but i mean i work with enough stuff in the construction that moving objects are going to fail at some point and it, it's always in the back of my head and now that i got my bow shooting thunderheads with a three inch group at 50 yards again i'm just going to stick with them
0: what about your arrows and uh, the high FOC craze? Uh, are you shooting 100 grain, 125, any inserts, heavier arrows, all that stuff? So I
1: used to have pretty light arrows. They were, they were east end, um flat lines. I think they were flat lines. They were a pretty light arrow, and I shot them. Never had a problem with them, but I'm shooting so close, so I wasn't worried about kinetic energy or anything like that. But last summer, as I'm getting ready for elk hunting, uh, I knew I needed heavy arrows and high front center, so I got totally new arrow setup, and I went with full metal jackets with 100 grain brass inserts, but I dialed everything in with 100 grain thunderheads again just because if I'm setting my bow up, to elk hunt with this and spend all the money on these arrows it's going to be my bow hunting setup too i'm not going to have multiple setups but the arrows themselves total now are 568 grains i can't remember off the top of my head what the front of center is but that's pretty it's it's up there
0: that's a pretty heavy arrow what are you shooting for draw weight and draw length
1: uh draw weight it's a 70 pound bowl but we twisted the strings and got 74 and a half out of it my draw length's 29 and a half so it's got some power
0: for sure all right well that's probably it sounds like that's the extent of the gear and and that's fine i think ryan had you know similar answers less is more on the gear and and spend more time in the woods and i definitely agree with that just uh i know that especially broadheads and, and arrows right now that's always a hot topic and people are We're curious what people are doing, so I thought we'd go over that. Let's move back into, and and I think I heard you mention this and maybe I already know what your answer is, but I'm going to ask the question anyways. What do you think is the single biggest factor contributing contributing to your success? And if you could only do one thing to prepare for the season, what would it be?
1: I think the single biggest part of me being successful is my sheer stubbornness. I hate failing, and I like everything to work perfectly, which it never does, but I just try everything I can to make make the most out of my time. If I'm scouting, I'm scouting with a purpose. I'm not just going to go walk around aimlessly just because a spot looks good or it's got a reputation of having have big bucks. I'm going to look at it first on a map and go check these spots that there should be deer. I'm stubborn and I hate not reaching my goal. So I don't stop like this time of year right now. uh, I've been going getting up early as much as I told you, I hate mornings. I've been going shining, which is legal here in Wisconsin at three in the morning before work or before a fishing tournament and seeing if I can find where these bucks are right now. Cause usually this time of year, they're, get by that time of morning they're getting pretty close to where they're gonna bed because it's cracking daylight before five right but i do anything i can to try helping me be better and more successful that year and it's just because i'm stubborn (laughs) that's all there is to it
0: (laughs) uh two two follow-up questions there you mentioned scouting and we're gonna get to that in one second but Michigan, you can shine until 11 p.m. You can't shine in November at all. But you know, during the during the summer and the bow season, you can shine until 11. Wish you could shine all night there, but you can't. Uh, how often are you going shining right now? You said getting up before work. You going once a week, once a month, five times a week. It's usually
1: about this time of year, late July, where. Most of our walleye tournaments are done and it's like the flip of a switch where, okay, it's deer every day now. So it's, uh boy. If I'm not shining every night because I'm tired, I'm at least going out glassing somewhere. Right now I'm sitting in a parking lot. Uh, when we're done here, I'm going to end up just glassing <laughs> and then probably drive around and shine my way home the other night. Cause I usually get up at, like, 4 or 4.30 for work. And the other night, I went out with the purpose to just glass one field. And I left the house at 7.30, and I just kept driving north and driving north. The next thing I know, I'm shining, and it's midnight, and I got about an hour and a half drive. I'm like, well, it is what it is.
0: Yeah, man, it's hard once you get going. It's uh, I definitely feel you there. I'm addicted to glassing and shining. <laughs>
1: It's crazy, yeah. About this time of year is when I get like almost blackout crazy about it, where I cannot think about anything else.
0: Yeah, that's uh. So we we're gonna get into scouting here now, but I think that's it's easy to look at someone that's had your kind of success and think, oh, like said, that guy's luckier; it just happens. But you're you're doing this stuff twenty four seven, three sixty five, or or pretty close to it putting in like like your buddy said tons of miles lots of gas this stuff just doesn't happen by accident when you're when you're scouting before you ever get boots on the ground and we didn't really cover this i've heard you mention scouting you know map scouting or e-scouting whatever you want to call it quite a few times what features and you're hunting mostly marshes it sounds like what sticks out to you i mean you've got 10 years of doing this now it sounds like um pretty consistently when you look at a map and compare it to areas you've been in that have good bucks what sticks out to you what kind of terrain features or parts of the, the marsh are you really keying in on in your cyber scouting
1: yeah think about all all this scouting that's all year and then it really ramps up in spring and now in fall and that's all to shoot in wisconsin you can shoot one buck with your bow and one with your gun so it's it's all that work just for maybe one or two bucks in the season. Uh, like you said, a lot of guys, oh, you're so lucky you gotta be the luckiest guy in know, I do a lot of work just for these and a lot I mean it's not like I'm successful my first night out. Sometimes it's my fortieth hunt of the year before I even see a shooter. Yeah, when I'm looking at maps, I mainly I am looking for spots that other people aren't going to go. Whether it's an island or you're going to need a kayak to get in there. Maybe it's just a couple of random trees out in the middle somewhere. I mean, it's mainly it's mainly spots where you know other guys aren't going to go. A lot of guys will say, yeah, I'm going to go back there, and, and they don't. I know a lot of guys are, are talk, but if you want to get on them in these public marshes, that is what you have to do you got to go to spots where it's not the funnest to get to, but the reward is worth it a lot of times. And I like when I'm talking to people, I I'm not trying to be arrogant or anything like that. I, I probably come off like that just cause I'm a construction worker and I don't have a very good emotional voice, <laughs> but uh, there's no way around it. You, you can't just go out and try to get lucky You get lucky once or twice, but You got to put the work in, and when I'm looking at maps, I'm looking where are guys not going to want to go.
0: It sounds like factor number one is is difficult access or low pressure. Then you're you're getting away from the hardwoods and the trails, and you know the stuff that's probably pretty common knowledge on the hunting beast is difficult. But have you noticed any trends like the these bedding areas that you're finding? Like you said, the one was just kind of in the middle of cattails. Have you seen any? common themes whether it's points or bowls islands um like where have you seen the most bucks good bucks what kind of terrain feature
1: um so for me in east central wisconsin i know like on the beast that talk about the lone trees out in the cattails and stuff usually have high ground and i don't know what's different here but a lot of times them are almost always underwater but the, the best spots I have found have not had trees. They're just high spots. You cannot see them on a map, really. You just got to walk out there and find them. There might be some red brush or uh, it changes from cattails to a grassy area. You can actually see them on a map if you look in, and all of a sudden the, the trails all converge into one spot. But the, to your eye, it looks like there's no terrain feature okay but that's usually what that's usually one of them high spots and they're almost always surrounded by water or it's it's wet it might not even be that deep of water but they're still not going to land that all there
0: so are you following deer trails into these areas or are you finding those converging points on aerials and then purposely going to check those out or maybe combination of those or something else
1: yeah, it's a combination. I'll follow the trails in because they've got to be coming from somewhere for a reason. Uh, I'll I'll follow the sign into a spot. Yeah, I, I always do that. I look at the map first at home and then on my way there, once I get there, and, okay, this is the section I'm going to check today. And as I start getting close, I look at the sign, and sometimes the signs point me in a different direction, but I keep following that. And... <clears throat> Along with sign, I think a lot of guys get hung up on that they have to see big rubs. And that's going to throw them off, I think, because in these higher-pressure areas, there's not that many deer. And the bigger bucks do not lay down that much sign. And the sign they're laying down is well away from where their core area is or where you're going to see them during daylight.
0: Right, rubbing in the hardwoods and field edges and stuff in the middle middle yes. of the night.
1: Or even spots. I mean, if I if I come up to a spot and there's five or six waist high good big rubs, but they're three, four years old, I'm still taking that into an account and checking it because to me that's saying there's something in this area that has what it needs for a big buck to hang out here. A lot of times that's a rut sign for, from what I've noticed so I will keep that in mind and if they're old rubs or, or from last season I'll go try I'll try finding the dole bedding first because they're probably in there all year and then from there I can look down the major downwind side of it and then I usually do find where the buck beds are and it there's not a lot of sign in them like I said there might be a little sapling that's just bust it off and that's it but if there if that was a two and a half or three and a half year old buck every little sapling in that area would be destroyed
0: yeah that's going to be my next question so how, how do you determine if that is a big buck bedding area it sounds like maybe less sign is better but i know you mentioned on the buck you killed uh, with with the next shot that that was uh the beds were real large so are you looking at bed size or what other factors are you seeing big tracks it sounds like that buck didn't necessarily have big tracks so what's giving you the confidence that that's a better buck in there what kind of sign specifically
1: uh back to my last answer i I screwed it up i meant to say east winds because usually we got west winds northwest but uh anyways bed size for sure and just for it's hard to describe without seeing it in person right now, but you just get a feel for it when it's a when it's a good buck using that. Like I said, there you look at it and you're like, How in the heck this there's no way that this thing will get killed in here because he's seeing you or smelling you or hearing you way before you're getting to him. And it's not just a single one bed that's all that's got a rub in it sometimes there's features like on a point or something where there is only one spot, but that buck probably isn't using that every day. He's only going to use it when the wind's blowing in his favor. But definitely you look at, I look at bed size, tracks. And like I said, I don't always, if it's a smaller track, I don't necessarily say it to myself that that's a little buck. If I'm getting in there when I'm scouting and it's starting to get nasty, but there's a little tangle or something there where he can be watching and smelling the wind. And it's just, it's like bomb proof. If, if you were trying to hide from someone and you could smell like a deer and hear like that, I, I get pretty excited. Especially if, if way before that process up on the mainland, I've seen good rubs or historic sign of rubs and then I get back in there and see a bed like that maybe surrounded by water it's not a very big area but they can maneuver around anything good escape routes I get pretty fired up when I see that even I mean it's it's March April and I see that and I'm I wish bull hunting open tomorrow
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a shame it's not a year-round sport um, so <laughs> you're talking about these areas and and I know I've heard Dan mention it too like they make you scratch your head they're bomb proof how are you getting into these areas in and fooling these deer are you taking like a real long time are you going in extra early what do you think that's what do you, what are you specifically doing that maybe other guys aren't doing that allows you to get in and get that close sometimes it's kayak access
1: um i'm almost always wearing hip boots I don't know why. I might as well wear cracks because I usually end up soaked anyways, but I wear them. (laughs) Um, Guys are worried about how they're going to get in. They don't want to fall up to their chest in water. And I think the biggest hang up for a lot of people that I don't care about is how are you getting out? How are you getting a deer out? How am I going to find my way out in the dark? I honestly, even if it's a place I have never been to, and I've only cyber scouted it, and it's a Wednesday in October, and I'm sick of hunting the stuff I have because I'm not seeing what I want. So I'm just going to go for it. I honestly couldn't care less about the getting out part. That that we'll worry about that when it happens.
0: <laughs> are you uh, are you using a, a GPS or a compass or Onyx? I mean, it sounds like you're not you're not too worried about getting totally lost.
1: I usually have a compass on me i have my phone on me but a lot of spots is pretty crappy reception but i usually do i'll pull my phone up and and look at it once i once i'm right about to dive into the cattails or whatever swamp or whatever it's going to be just so i can get a bearing of what i got to aim for and then i'll look at my compass and go for it there's a lot of times i come out on a different trail but i still make it out
0: yeah and that's uh i think that just comes with time in the woods too and if guys are worried about that the more time you spend in the woods even just scouting hunting the more times you successfully get out of areas like that you just get just like hunting you get more confidence that you can do it and you worry about it less and less for sure there's
1: there's been times where uh say it closed at seven o'clock and there's times where it might have only been a mile from the truck but i got back to the truck at midnight and
0: uh (laughs) get a little turned around that's
1: it's, it's humbling but uh that's all part of the ride that's what makes it fun
0: yeah I've, I've been lost probably two or three times pretty good and uh one time i i had a gps but i grabbed the wrong coat and i knew how to get into this because i'd been into it scouting several times but it was pretty forested and and some swamp in there and i i made a wrong turn somewhere and i got i got lost for quite a while out there and has a bi- big area <laughs> with not a lot of roads so yeah, that'll, that'll make you be a little more prepared, but I got out. I'm still still here, still alive.
1: Yep, now you got a story to tell.
0: Yeah, exactly. One of the things that I've been doing the last few years uh, more and more, and I think it's more and more valuable, is in-season scouting. So tell me about if you're in-season scouting, and if you are, are you looking for different things in-season versus spring scouting? And what kind of sign gets you real excited if you're doing in-season, in-season scouting?
1: I think if you're not doing in season scouting, you are putting a big hurt on yourself because things change daily and you always got to be looking for stuff. Um, I mean, the main thing I'm looking at in season is probably tracks on field edges or maybe rubs and scrapes opening up. But like I said, it's, I am scouting my whole way in every, every single hunt every night. And if I'm seeing sign, say I wanted to hunt spot a, but I'm walking to it and there's just nothing fresh. Then I'll just keep going past it until I find something. So you found something that looked dynamite in spring and okay, I'm going to hunt it right away. Opening week of bull season. And you get back there and there's nothing happening. You it's kind of a wasted hunt because, yeah, they that spot looked awesome in spring, but maybe that was just because they were in their late season or the sign you did see was from a rut or something. So you always got to – I think you have to scout your way in every time, even if you know where you're going. It might not be off very much. It might be off quarter mile, but it can make a huge difference. But tracks – uh, checking where acorns are dropping or where they're maybe cleaned up. I usually pay attention if I hear turkeys and stuff too, or blue jays because they're usually always around some kind of some kind of food. Squirrels. That's like squirrels. I pay attention to when I'm walking in too because they're always grabbing stuff. I will if I have to if if I'm walking back to a spot and it just doesn't look right and there's not that many options in that particular area to hunt i'll back out i'll get in the truck and i'll just go somewhere else and and just scout for the rest of the night i think that's a big thing some some guys will get to a spot and doesn't look good so they end up just going home and it's not making them better it's not upping their odds at all
0: yeah or, or they sit there and there's no no fresh sign or hot sign and that's kind of why I ask about it. And one one of the reasons is because I've been hunting out of state, geez, I don't know, five years now. And the big lesson that I've learned from hunting out of state is find the sign. Like you got to find fresh sign or you might as well not even hunt. And I'd rather just keep walking, driving, glassing, whatever, until I find it because you're, you're just spinning your wheels. If you're not.
1: Right. Absolutely. And the other thing too, as far as like in season scouting and, if you're finding good sign and it's starting to look really good slow down and stop for a minute and kind of look around the area if you got reception in the smartphone maybe pull up a map because you don't want to go in too far you're there right now you're in good sign and you might as well set up on it before you you get too far in
0: yeah that's uh sounds like you're not in any hurry when you're in the woods right i mean maybe you are if you're only getting out for the last 45 minutes but on an ideal day are you you taking your time getting in there then like said scouting your way in checking stuff out
1: for the most part yeah i mean i i'm usually burning back pretty good until i start getting to the areas where you're gonna see the relevant sign that's when i slow down big time and then all right i gotta cool down I gotta look around before I just go 100 miles an hour in here, then blow every deer out of here because they might be right here, and I'm gonna go right past them. Which I've done plenty of times. <laughs>
0: that's. I was just gonna say. I bet you know that now because you've done it before. I know I have.
1: And and I still do it. And I'm gonna. It's gonna happen. That's that's never gonna go away. But you gotta. Every time you do that, anytime you fail that way you got to think of it and not be too upset at yourself but you got to take something away from it every time okay this is i just i just ruined that and i could have slammed dunk. why did i ruin it why were they there you know what could i have done differently
0: right what, what did this sign look like 20 yards before i blew them out and, and maybe look for that next right. time yeah for sure for sure
1: and that's a, that's the a thing too like with the bigger bucks, I mean, you're seeing the rub, so you're getting in there, and you're, you're seeing sign, and then it starts dwindling, but you're still heading in the same direction of where it was coming from. That's usually when I'll stop right then, because I know they're pretty dang close right now, where the bigger bucks around here don't leave that much sign around there bedding area so i'll stop right there because i know they're
0: close right and like you said you you already know a lot of times the bedding area that you're trying to get into so it sounds like you're you're getting past what would be you know the the traditional sign the rubs and and the scrapes and getting in between those and the bedding area
1: correct yep i'd say about 90 percent of the time i know the area that I'm heading into but that doesn't just because I know it doesn't mean that uh, the deer didn't shift a little bit
0: and one other question I wanted to ask you is are you ever just I mean I know you said earlier you're taking your bow with you but are you ever just going out with to scout an area let's say in this hypothetical scenario you've been seeing this big buck you know he's in the area and you think you know where he's betting are you ever going out just to scout around that bedding area and if you are how do you decide if you're scouting or if you're putting on too much pressure you know I think there's a fine line there like how do you scout in that type of scenario without getting getting too much pressure on that deer
1: yeah there is definitely a fine line that's that's the biggest thing that I think is going to take the longest amount of time to figure out when you're pushing it too far uh if i if I'm going strictly scouting, I probably still have at least a doe tag on me, if not my buck tag. Also, I I still take my bow with me every time, even though I might be setting up 900 yards from where the deer are gonna be. I'll still bring it just in case. There's a fluke and something walks right past you at 20 yards, and you feel like because yeah. I've had it happen, and ever since then does not matter i am taking even if I'm gonna walk in 50 yards off the road and uh, you're probably not going to see a deer because it's crp grass or whatever i am I still take my bull
0: that's a great tip because i had a, a deer that I was after i think it was 2014 or 2015 and uh this would be a quick story but my my girlfriend's dad we were we it was on their private property and I'd seen it the year before and almost killed it and we had, you know we i say we it was mostly me had scouted all the <laughs> property and and the neighbors that would let me on to look around and and some public land in the area and i found this where i thought this deer was bedding and we didn't have a stand there and when we found it it was it was kind of downwind of a food plot like 200 yards on this little ridge and it made a lot of sense and this was about the time i was getting into the hunting beast i was like oh yeah this makes a lot of sense when when we're hunting in the food plot he can smell us and he never comes out and we'd only get him on camera in this one spot well long story short the stand we set up worked in like the second or third day of season my my uh, girlfriend's dad hit this buck high and and we weren't sure if it killed it or what we looked for it for like two days never did find it and about two or three weeks later i was on some public across the road from their place but only maybe a mile mile and a half as the crow flies and I was just going to set cameras on some scrape lines that I'd found the year before and I was kind of in a hurry and it was the middle of the day so I didn't take my bow long story short I jumped that stupid buck that we were after (laughs) and it stood that 20 yards for about 45 seconds staring at me and I was like oh man I'd kill for a bow right now so I'm with you never leave your bow at home
1: ain't that something it's like they know They'll sit there and tease you if they know that you have no chance of killing them right now.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was pretty. That was a that was an eye opener, it, it was good because we got to close that chapter of the story. We knew that buck was alive still, and he looked right. just, he looked just fine. So got a little silver lining, but kind of tough when that was my target buck for the year to watch it stand there at twenty yards for close to a minute. Yeah,
1: yeah, but you picked up something on it. I mean, you knew he was still alive, and then you knew that. I probably should have brought my bow, even though I didn't plan on seeing them.
0: Yeah, it's uh, and just to close that story all the way out. A lot of good intel did me because I went in the, the following week at like four in the morning to set up over the bed, and he was already there. I blew him out. Never seen him again that season. <laughs> oh,
1: no kidding. Yeah. Yeah, sucks. yeah,
0: what are you gonna do? That was, it was a good learning lesson. So, anyways, yep. yeah, getting back to the in season scouting, I you know always take your bow for sure, and. I don't know. Do you have any other, any final words you want to say on that before we we move on?
1: Getting back to the walking that fine line. If I if I don't really know what's going on and I'm sitting back to whether it's observation set or I'm, like we just said, I am scouting from a long ways away. I try to be very careful until I have a pretty good idea what's going on, and then the next chance I get I'm gonna march right in there and either kill it or fail miserably. <laughs> right. So once I'm once I'm confident or I, I think I know what's going on, then I'll go in right away at full steam ahead and see what happens. I usually I won't work my way in a hunt at a time at that
0: point. Just diving all the way in.
1: Yep, go in right away
0: yeah i like the there's a saying and i didn't make it up but the the worst decision is indecision get in there or don't get in there and if you're getting in there get after it and like you said if you mess it up just on to the next spot
1: yep and go with your gut if you if you're going for it and something doesn't feel right then maybe it's not and if feel like if i go in there tonight i'm gonna kill him go for it i did that last year with my ball buck i actually texted Joel rent me through that morning i said i'm gonna kill that buck tonight he goes all right we'll go do it then at about six well i don't remember maybe five forty-five. i texted him he go hey i can just kill them he goes that's badass
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome well you know you've had a lot of success and you didn't initially have success we talked about that so one of the things i wanted to cover was like what combination or details are you noticing now 10 years of success later that that you missed early and like if you could go back to 2010 what would you tell yourself then like hey here's the really important things to look for
1: i would say i overlook all of the sign for the most part that i used to look for
0: what do you mean rub rubs and scrapes that kind of sign
1: that yeah that kind of stuff or oh it's a hard woods with oaks that's where i got a hunt because that's where the deer are And and that's not true. (laughs) Not, not, not on public land or most guys private. I mean, the stuff you watch on TV for the most part is a totally different style of hunting. And then it just does not work for 90% of the guys that are out there. And I used to not understand. The biggest thing I didn't understand was how the wind works. Because I would always okay, the wind's blowing out of the west, I got to hunt the east side of this property so the deer don't smell me. But the, a lot of times the deer weren't there because I didn't know it, but the wind wasn't in their favor, so they weren't comfortable being there. And it took me a long time to figure that out. I would say that's that's probably the biggest thing. Once I started figuring out the wind and how it acts and how the deer relate to it, that was that was a game changer
0: are you hunting a lot of uh like quartering winds or just off winds then as opposed to stuff that's totally advantageous for you
1: it is usually pretty dicey for the most part i would say three out of four hunts if if i go 50 yards too far i the hunts over before i'm even set
0: up yeah no i think both of those things are are real good lessons the, the sign thing it's it's real counterintuitive too especially when you're getting rolling i mean it, it was for me too to right. say hey here's all the sign but well, i shouldn't hunt there like dan says you know a lot of that's a night sign or stringing you along i know ryan talked about it too so it's weird you got to find those areas and either by map scouting boots on the ground whatever it is observation where there where those deer are moving in the daylight and that's that's not always or hardly ever where that sign's at.
1: Right. And that's tough because you get excited. You see this big rub and then it might change your plan. And even though, you know, all right, if this rubs here, this buck is probably back in this bedding area. But then you're thinking, oh, there's this spot right here. And, and then you change your game plan and it throws you off. And yeah, you got you got to take it into consideration. The sign's there. He's there. But you got to overlook it. you got to go to where he's going to be.
0: Yeah, think about that security first, especially on public land. Yep. So this is something I want to talk about probably with with every guest because I think this is real important too. And you kind of already alluded to it, but how important is your your mental attitude to your success?
1: It is huge because that is pretty much the reason I quit for a while because – watching shows or talking to my buddies that hunt their private farms or whatever. And they're always getting deer. I wasn't. And it just, it just totally ruined my mindset. And I, I, I was so down on myself and this sucks and I'm just going to quit doing it. And I see that a lot and just talking to younger guys in the parking lots and stuff. And they get so discouraged And it's kind of like, you got to have fun with it. You're going to mess up, but you got to learn something from it. But you got to stay positive. Okay, I didn't kill one tonight, but that's all right. I learned something. They're not here. They're not using this area. I'm going to get them tomorrow. If you got a bad attitude about not even just hunting, about anything, you're not going to perform to the best of your abilities. If, if you're going into a spot thinking, well, I don't know, I might see one, I might not, you're better off not even hunting it. You should just go to a spot where, yes, there's going to be one here, and I'm going to kill them, or i got a really good chance of even seeing one, it, even if I just see them and not shoot them, that's huge. But, you know, you get into the season, now oh, it's middle of October, you've hunted 30 days, and it does get tough to stay positive, but a lot of times, that's when I'll just uh, totally stop what I'm doing around home or most of the normal properties I hunt, and I'll just pick spot on a map a couple hours away and go try something new, something fresh.
0: Yeah, keep never it fun. Never been there
1: before. Right. Keep it exciting. You know, I've never been here. This is fun. Maybe figure something out here. But you got you to gotta stay positive. Bad attitude about anything, the game's over.
0: I agree and that's why I want to bring it up because I mean especially it sounds like for you too for me when I first started hunting and you see all these people being successful and you're like what am I doing <laughs> what am I doing wrong and and you mentioned if you're in a spot that you're not confident about go to one that you are but if you haven't put the time in or if you're newer you don't always have one of those spots so you kind of got to believe in in what, where you're at and if that's not working out for whatever reason don't go there again. Like, I think that's a mistake people make too. Like, oh, something's going to be different tomorrow. Well, probably not. Get out of that area and chalk it up to, to learning and go to another area you spring scouted or whatever and, and give that one a shot and, and move till you find them. And this, this leads me into a question. And I, didn't, I wrote you some questions. We didn't have this on the list, but I think this is important too. So I want to bring this up. And I'm saying get out of that area, go to another one. What do you do once you've found a deer? Let's say you get in and you know there's a good buck in the area. Maybe even see him or whatever, but you don't kill him for whatever reason or you see him from an observation stand. How many hunts are you given in an area? And I'm not talking about the same exact spot. Let's let's say 100 acres or whatever. How many hunts do you give an area when you know there's a good buck in there before you move on?
1: If I see, see a good buck, in that, uh, the first thing I'm going to take account is – why did I see him there or why is this sign here and pay close attention to the weather, especially the wind. Cause that, that can tell you a lot. And I, I generally don't hunt the same say five, 10 acre section more than once. It, it's different because it's different with every property and every bedding area. But if there's a good buck in a spot, I'm looking at maps, seeing, okay, if he's not here, he could be here, he could be there. I'm I'm going to hunt every bedding area that he could possibly be using. And and it might take a couple days, or depending on when, it might take a couple weeks, but just keep eliminating those spots because every spot that doesn't work out, you're either getting closer or he's already gone. And I think you'll figure it out after a while as long as you're Scouting your way in, and the sign dries up. Well, then, then it's kind of, kind of a thing telling you, well, he's probably gone. So I got to move on. And it is what it is.
0: Yeah, and that's what was going to be my follow-up questions. When do you throw in the towel? You specifically, but it sounds like when that any sign of that big buck starts drying up or, or just goes away totally, huh?
1: Yeah, usually. Or, oh, it's happened twice now where the one i was chasing i felt like i was getting closer you got hit by a car or you hear rumors of one got poached in the area and the signs drying up or, or not even poached that oh yeah someone shot a dandy back here well when someone says a dandy too you know like we were saying about spread earlier i take it with a grain of salt because to some people 110 inch buck is a giant and and it, it could be to a lot of people because they've never seen one that big. But, you know, I'm always kind of thinking, well, is it is it the one I was after or not? I, I'm still going to go in there to hopefully confirm any suspicion that he's gone or dead or whatever. Right.
0: Yeah, it's not always easy to tell, especially, I mean, that's one of one of the tough parts. You know, there's a lot of tough parts of public land is, maybe you're chasing a ghost like you said that deer either moved out got killed got hit whatever (laughs) and and it's not always easy to tell that he's not in the area anymore and and sometimes until it's really obvious like you haven't seen that deer in three months or whatever
1: no for sure and actually one of the bucks i killed one year i had been seeing him in a certain area and saw him a couple times couldn't kill him and this was well before the rut and two weeks later he got shot a mile and a half away something pushed him out and he just went to the next spot where he's either he just kept going or he's been there before and knew he could get away from it from any danger but so yeah like you said it's tough to keep track of them
0: that's why i'm uh i'm not somebody that chases a specific deer normally because i think that's uh that's one of the biggest issues with that especially on public you just too many variables that are out of your control there.
1: Yeah, that's why I kind of got out of trail cameras too because I was, it was, it was killing me because I was just going after these ones instead of doing what I do now and just just keep hitting different spots until something shows up. Otherwise, you get hung up on this one buck and you're you're burning a lot of time.
0: Yeah, and there's something at least to me there's something fun about seeing a buck show up that you don't have a trail camera. Hit picture of or maybe you never glassed and it's a nice surprise it's some something fun about that for sure too
1: yeah i would i would agree 100 percent with that well
0: hey last question here we're, we're getting into the two hour mark i think i'm a big proponent of setting goals and, and not just deer hunting probably every area of my life and i think it's important do you set any goals for yourself going into a season and i'm not just talking about like inches of antlers it could be anything and if so, what do you consider when setting your goals? And do you have any goals for 2020?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, some years it's I want to, I want to shoot 165 inches, so that's all I'm going to focus on. Some years it's I want to shoot one in a different county, on a different type of terrain, and then I am I am mostly. Uh, cattail marsh hunter but i i do like dipping into some other kind of more farmland stuff cpr or uh, crp grass and stalking kind of, that's why out west really excites me and why i want to get out there more i like the spot and stock aspect of hunting but uh usually my main goal every year is to shoot a mature buck and it doesn't have to be a boone crockett buck like the, like the main one I've gotten on recently here, he looks like an old deer, and he's he looks like the one in the story we were talking about at the beginning. Where, I think he's over five years old. He's, he might go 145 inches, but he's just an old mature deer that has made it all these years. And to me, shooting an older buck that might not score much means more, just because it's a harder harder animal to get a hold of
0: yeah he's eluded eluded a lot of other hunters for five years so a big challenge there
1: right and another goal i would say for this year so i have never hunted anything out of state my entire life till last year i went uh last year was i was going to be 30 so it's about time i started doing different stuff i went to canada on a bear hunting trip I went to Colorado elk hunting, which was that was the most awesome thing I've ever done. I wasn't expecting to even shoot one, let alone, you know, see good bulls. And I shot one, and that was that was awesome. Came back home, and I ended up shooting my Wisconsin bull buck. And then I had some time to kill between then and our gun season. So uh, a Friday on my way home from work i just got a random thought in my head screw it i'm gonna go to missouri and bow hunt. never been there never looked at a map i'm just gonna go with something to do and it was a lot of fun i i honestly didn't even look at a map till i was midway through iowa trying to get a hold of jake hibschman from the hunting public to see if i could crash at their house that night which i ended up doing <laughs>
0: that's uh, awesome
1: it was fun i actually almost killed a really nice nine pointer that first morning just from, I was looking at maps and eh, yeah, this looks all right. It's more hill hill country, which I don't have much experience in, but, you know, I read up on it a lot and watch videos. I've read a couple books and it was fun. And I ended up going back the next weekend too, and I had multiple opportunities. It just, I could never get a shot at a couple different books. Nothing huge, but I would have been happy as heck with them. So another main goal this year is to kill one out of state for sure.
0: Are you heading back to Missouri or do you got tags for any other states?
1: I think I am for sure going to head to Missouri. I see, I, like I want to do this stuff, but I don't, I just think, you know, I want to go to Nebraska or North Dakota. I, I get that in my mind without even looking at what it takes to get a tag. So <laughs> who knows? I mean, I'll, I'll look around and see what I, where I can get a tag and maybe end up doing it because I had a blast last year. I hunted so many different spots and usually usually my whole season is right here which which is still fun. I mean that's what I do but it it takes some excitement out of it when you're just pounding the same terrains and same couple areas. So I definitely wanna travel more and hunt more a more diverse uh, array of properties and terrain.
0: Yeah, if you want to if you want to get into the spot and stock stuff, I mean, I've never hunted Nebraska, but I have hunted Kansas, South Dakota, North Dakota, and Montana now and and any of those are going to give you a good opportunity. Well, you no know, South Dakota's a little different now, but North Dakota you can still buy a tag.
1: I might have to do that.
0: North Dakota, you can you can buy a tag over the counter still. I mean, they're mailing and they mail it to you, so you got to get it like a little bit before you want to hunt. Usually takes like a week to 10 days to show up. And then South Dakota, you can buy one, but you have to put in in like April. So that's over with. And Montana and Kansas are both draws, but they're usually like no points or one point draw for most of the areas. So if you want to get into that, um, hunting the plains is a blast, man. Coming from Michigan where it's mostly farm ground or ag or kind of big woods, some swamps. Going out to the plains, it's, it's a totally different experience. And those states are just such lower pressure, I imagine, compared to Wisconsin, too, like calling and decoying. And the things you see on TV will even work on public land there. So so it makes it a lot of fun. Just a real real different experience, So If that's something you're looking to get into, I'd definitely recommend it.
1: Yeah, I will say with the... I have never had success rattling. I've brought some with a ground tube. Usually, you know, during the run, I'll have a ground tube on me, but there's so much pressure in this state it just well probably not as much as by you were in Michigan but there's a lot of fun stuff I'd like to do even decoys and stuff where I know guys have success out west with it and just it's a whole new element that would it's it's something fresh that would make it pretty fun
0: yeah man like I said I definitely encourage you to, to look and do it for if you can't do it this year I mean something something like you can go to Missouri still but you want to get to some of those western states definitely look into it for next year and give it a whirl because it is it's a it's a blast and coming from even uh you know a state like michigan or wisconsin where you got quite a bit of pressure the the difference in the hunting pressure especially during bow season will blow your mind a bit. where's everybody at (laughs) yeah it sounds fun well hey i appreciate you coming on and uh having a chat with me today it was good times i definitely learned a few things and i'm sure people listening well too if you got any last words for we close her off here
1: yeah i had fun too um tell a quick story quick about and it kind of tells how how i ground hunt is when i shot my booner it was a spot i was working about two hours from home and i knew this job site was going to be a couple years long so like, well, I might as well find something down that way to scout and potentially hunt on a Friday if I drive myself. So I found this spot. It was uh it was pretty much an island, not a classic island that you would see in the middle of cattails, but it was some high ground with trees and stuff, and it was it looked perfect. Everything looked perfect about it. This island was maybe thirty yards wide by eighty yards long, and uh I knew I needed a certain wind to get in there. That's not very common, and I pretty much just waited all fall for that right wind. And it finally, it finally came. And the top, the top part of the islander, I guess the high the crest of it, is pretty bare. There was not much grass. Uh, I had to be careful because we're if there was a buck on this thing he was almost going to be able to see anything and hear anything. And the wind was really strong that day, which was perfect. And by the time I got onto the island, I had to go about 40 yards total to set up. And I would say, I know I timed it, and I'd have to look at my GoPro footage. It took me almost 45 minutes to close those 40 yards. Because I literally was on my hands and knees waiting for a blue jay to help make some extra noise or a plane going over just to cover cover noise, and I did not want to move fast. Because if, if there was one there, if he picked his head up, he'd see me immediately. And I pretty much, that's what I did. And my, my ambush setup was hiding behind this den tree with some raccoons in it and uh long story short it was getting about prime time and i can hear the coons in this tree are waking up uh, <laughs> they're, they're gonna come the holes are at the bottom of the tree they're gonna crawl right in my lap and freak out and uh they ended up not i don't know if they could smell me or something but sure as shoot that buck was there he was 25 yards from where i set up and i watched him stand up and grow a couple trees and walk right in and i shot him i guess i just want to say that's how stealthy you got to be just because you don't have a stand and everything doesn't mean that you can just barrel your way in there i mean you still got to take everything into account but uh it's pretty exciting when they're right up in your face like that
0: that's a great story because i feel like especially in the modern world people don't necessarily hunt and what i mean by that is like you're out there for fun you're not out there like you're trying to survive and if you were out there like you're trying to survive you'd do a lot of things different like you would crawl on your hands and knees and you would take an hour to get in there right it also it also illustrates confidence right like i don't know if you'd ever seen this deer before but probably not but you you had good reason to believe that that was there you needed to be in to see a big one so you had the confidence going in there to do the things right that you needed to do instead of well maybe there's one in here and <laughs> now nah, i don't need to be that quiet or i can just walk in there and and like you said would have blown it before you ever got started
1: yep yep for sure i scouted it one day six seven months before that and that was my first time ever in there i didn't know what to expect but the the sign was right
0: and we shot a booner that's crazy
1: <laughs> yep on a sunday two hours from home and i we got him back home at like 3.30 in the morning. I took an hour nap and drove all the way back there for work that Monday. <laughs> oh,
0: geez. What time of the year was that?
1: Uh, I think it was like October 22nd. My least favorite time of the year is the rut, and I, I do shoot most of my bucks before before like the pre-rut really gets going. So.
0: so you've got most of your bucks, say, before like October 25th then?
1: Yeah, right in that area
0: interesting yeah i know a lot of guys a lot of a lot of big buck slayers swear by those last two weeks of october you know whether they're still on somewhat of a pattern and haven't totally disappeared chasing does
1: yep for sure
0: all right man hey thanks again like i said definitely learned a lot for talking to you and, and good luck this season i'll be following along with your adventures you'll have to get on the beast a little bit and, and post up how things are going
1: right on good luck to you thanks for having me
0: All right, take care, Jordan.
1: All righty, bye.